Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, this morning we're going to end our Advent series in Romans chapter 5. How many of y'all have been loving this series? Romans chapter 5. It's been messing with you a little bit. Romans 5. This has been something that is something new that we did for Advent, but we said we're going to track through just one chapter. Romans 5. We take 11 verses and we're going to do um, four different topics that we talk about during Christmas. So faith, hope, love, and peace. Uh, Luke started us off a few weeks ago talking about faith. And then Tony did the second week talking about hope. Then I talked about peace last week. This morning we're going to talk about love. Love, that four-letter word that everybody loves. Love. I'm going to talk about that. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you got it, go ahead and stand on your feet with me if you're able as we read the word of God together. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. Start in verse one, the text reads, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God, I love that, but God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Very words of God, amen. Today I want to preach again on the topic, love. Everybody say love. Love. Let's pray before we go any further. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. We thank you for all that you're doing in our church. God, we just ask that you would be in this place right now, that you would hide me behind your cross, that you be lifted up in this place, have your way, Father. Let it be me, not me that's preaching, but you speaking to your people. God, we thank you for sending your son. And God, let us remember the love of God in this time. 
It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we say all these things. And everyone said together? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Love. Love, just like peace, as I explained last week, is a word that's been thrown around so flippantly in society that it's become extremely hard to distinguish the true meaning of love in today's society. I mean, love has simply become just a four-letter word, as we like to say. Love has begun to lose its meaning, its, its depth. I mean, people use the words, I love you and love for everything. I, I'm not going to lie to you. When I started out in this multi-ethnic ministry thing, y'all used to throw me off when I'd be hanging out with my white brothers. And they would, at the end of us leaving someplace, they would say, I love you, man. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> that's weird. I just met you. We don't know each other. You love me? I mean, can't we just say goodbye? But, but I had to realize that some people just say I love you at the end of, you know, when, they, when they're saying goodbye, it's a figure of speech. I didn't grow up that way. We didn't say I love you every time we said goodbye. It was just like, all right, bye, see you later. Because we knew that love was already there. We knew that we meant I love you already. When I'm saying goodbye, I love you. So we didn't always have to say it. But some people just say it all the time. I mean, some people while in relationships, y'all, they fall head over heels for the other person. I mean, third date, I love you. Oh my gosh, your dream come true. You're heaven sent, you're everything I wanted. And the other person's like, um, am I supposed to say that back to you? Because I, I mean, you cool and all, but I don't know if I love you. I mean, it's the worst thing when somebody says I love you first and then the other person hesitates. My wife was the first one to say I love you in our relationship. And I was like, um, no, actually it happened the other way around, y'all. I'm going to just tell on myself. I told her I love her first and she was like, um, give, me, give me a second. I mean, it took her like four days to tell me she loved me. I'm like, this is weird, yo. Like, I, are you supposed to say that back to me? But, but it's the worst thing, family, when you say I love you and then somebody hesitates on the other end. And most of the time, the person that's saying I love you, it, they, it's not really love. They just have this strong affinity. They have this strong connection for the other person. They don't really know what it means to love the other person yet. I mean, people use the words I love you on special occasions like anniversaries, weddings, Valentine's Day. People express their love by giving gifts and acts of service, physical intimacy. People use the word love when they really enjoy or take a liking to something like, like, like it's Christmas season. I love me some eggnog. I, I love me some turkey. I, I love the greens and all the biddles and all the fixings. I love the lights. I love this time of year. People use the word love as a noun where they say, bro, that's love. And really what they're saying is, man, thank you so much for looking out for me. Thank you for caring for me. You really showed me that you cared by doing what you did. That's love. Family, as you can see, there's many different ways. Culturally, we have come to define love, which begs the question, what is, what's true love? What does it look like 
and where can I find it? Because hear me, we all want to be loved. We all want to be able to give love too. In fact, Gary Chapman, he writes in his famous book, Five Love Languages. Have you read that book before? Anybody read that? If you haven't, pick it up. It's a great book. He says these words, for love, we will climb mountains, cross seas, traverse deserts, sands, and endure untold hardships. Without love, mountains become unclimbable, seas uncrossable, deserts unbearable, and hardships are a lot in life. We all want love. And we all need love. We will do whatever it takes to find it or receive it. And sadly, many times, that means for some of us, lowering our, lowering our standards and submitting ourselves to something that's wrongful or this bad relationship or the wrong type of love. And, and, and sometimes we'll be like, I mean, he didn't really mean what he said to me. He, he really loves me. Uh, they didn't mean to do what they did to me. They really love me. See, we, we lowered our standards to, to this facade of love. We all been there before, and some of us are there right now. And see, the problem is, and hear me when I say this, hear me, don't miss this. The problem is, is that we, if we don't understand how we've been loved by God, we'll never truly know how to love another person. Or on the flip side, we'll never really understand how to receive true love. We'll always settle for the facade of love fake love. So today what I want to do is I want to examine this scripture to give us a fuller picture of God's love toward us. And in seeing his love, my hope is that it will lead us to love more like him. But before we go any further, let me ask you, I really want y'all to think about this. Have you fully embraced and accepted the love of God? Don't, don't be so quick to answer the question either. I want you to ponder, I want you to think on it. Have you fully embraced and accepted the love of God in your life? Last week, if you were with us, I spoke about true peace. And that peace is not just a subjective feeling, it is an objective reality. This means that true peace is not in what is happening to me or around me, but my peace as a believer comes from me truly trusting and believing in an almighty God who's bigger and better than my circumstance. See, true peace that surpasses all understanding, as the Bible says, as I, I explained last week, comes from understanding Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. When Christ died and he rose from the grave, he took the sins of the world upon himself. He buried them once and for all in the grave, and then he rose from the grave, providing true peace and reconciliation between man and God if we believe in Jesus. So as I said last week, that true peace is truly a peace that surpasses any other peace that we can seek because it's a peace to where if one believes, will never have to realize or fathom the wrath of God. What this means is that when the bottom feels like it's falling out in your life, when it feels like there's no peace, there's a peace that we can meditate on that we have in Jesus that lets you know that if he can take on the wrath of God and if he can take on my sin, then that means he can handle my situation. Some of y'all didn't amen because y'all missed it. See, so, so here's the good news. Here's the icing on top of that cake right here. Here's the icing. 
if in him dying, if that's not just good enough for you, in him dying and providing peace, here's the reality. He also provides heaven after this life, which allows me as a believer to meditate on the goodness to come, which may keep me standing in the midst of my turmoil. Turmoil. But some of y'all still missed it. Here it is. God can make the storm cease in your life. But even if he doesn't make the storm cease, he promises eternity for those that believe through Jesus. See, peace again, do not miss what I'm saying, is not just a feeling, it's the reality that the believer lives in. This all leads back to the same passage today because the passage transitions at the, at the end as we end our Advent sermon series in verse five. Look at it with me. Paul says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul here is saying, don't miss what he's saying. He's saying that even after all I've told you about, even after all I've said Christ has done on our behalf, the believer's behalf, to give us hope. He, he said, if Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection does not give you enough hope to keep going, God has loved you immensely to go further than just Christ dying, to now leave you with the promised Holy Spirit who's now indwelling you in your hearts. Now, now you ask, well, how, how in the world, Pastor D, is that God loving me? Well, follow me. Follow me with this. Ephesians 1, verse 13 through 14 says this. The believer, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Paul is basically saying here that you don't even have to have hope, although knowledge of Christ and what he did for you should give you hope. But on those days where they're too bad to even think about hope or have hope or you feel like there's no hope, things have gotten so hard, don't worry because God has loved you more than your hope and sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Don't miss that. Paul is saying you are his and he is yours. But some of y'all still missing this. So hear me, Jesus says it another way. You look at John chapter 10, 28. I love this verse. He says this. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Hear me, Paul and Jesus are both saying there is nothing that can steal the believer's joy and hope away that they have in Jesus. Watch this. God has loved you so much, don't miss it, that he did not leave that up to you or anybody else to steal the joy or the hope away that you have in Jesus. He didn't leave that up to us. He said there's no circumstance, there's no situation, no matter how big, no matter how small, that can truly steal the believer's hope away because it's rooted in someone who is unchangeable. Don't miss it. So hear me, you, you may be feeling down and out right now. You may have had a horrible week. But again, if you believe, no matter how you feel, there is a hope that lies within us that nobody can shake. You may not feel it or even see it at times, but God has loved the believer that much that he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit until he comes back to take you home. See, what Paul is, is trying to get the, the, the reader to see here, what, he, what he's trying to get the believer to see is that the love of God is unfathomable. 
I mean, I mean the love of God is, is far too great for our finite minds to begin to make reason of God's infinite love. I mean, essentially, you keep on reading in this passage, in, in Romans 5, you keep on reading down this passage, Paul is simply saying that this love that God has for us is unnatural to humans. We don't love like this. Follow me, we don't love like this. He says in verse 6, while we were still weak at the right, right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now let me break this down a bit. Because when Paul says weak, he's not talking about your strength. He's not talking about physically you being weak. He's talking about you being morally weak. He's talking about your moral strength. Hence the word ungodly at the end of this verse. What he's saying is that Christ knew that we could not live up to this holy standard. God sets before us and don't miss it. He, without him even coming to us or without us running to him asking for help, without us begging for help or, or, or saying, Jesus, help me. Jesus chooses to die while we were in active rebellion against God. All of us, we, all of us were in our sin. And this is the key. Without our knowledge or even consultation, Jesus took it upon himself to say, look, look, God, they're never going to meet this standard that we set. They're never going to meet it. So, so I'm going to take the wrath of God on myself and I'm going to die for them. I know some of y'all still missing this because there's not enough amens in here. It's, it's, it's almost Christmas and y'all missing this because it's easy to just gloss over Jesus's death and say, I believe he died, but not understand the magnitude of it. Some of us are in here saying, Pastor D, I got that part. I know that Jesus died for me. I need more than that. And the problem is that, yeah, maybe you cognitively have that in your head. You might get it in your head, but sadly, your head is disconnected from your heart, so the gospel has not now affected the way you live. See, see, when Jesus has not only affected your head and the way you think, but he's actually now in, intervened or, or worked into your heart in the most inner parts of your body, y'all hear me, it never gets old hearing about what Jesus did for you. It just keeps getting sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. That's why it's called the good news. It's good news. But see, I believe Paul knew that the reader would miss it. I believe that Paul knew that, some, like some of us, we'd be sitting there saying, I, I understand that already. So he says, well, let me break it down a little bit more for you, because I don't know if you got it. Paul says in verse 7, look at it. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Basically, Paul says, on a very rare, and I mean very rare occasion, will a person die for an upright person. Because as much as we love people, ain't none of us in here about to willingly die for somebody else. Keyword, willingly. Don't you raise your hand. We in church, don't lie. You would not die. None of us would willingly just, I'm going to die for you. But Paul keeps going. He says, verse 8, he says, look, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us when we were against him. And see, I still think we're missing this a bit. I, I mean, how could God possibly love us 
when he knows that we are against him in our sin. We're not like him. And at one point, maybe all of us in here didn't really want to be like him. We didn't want to walk after Jesus' ways. We, didn't, we wanted to live our life and do what we wanted to do. Now, with that, I want you to think on this for a moment. I want you to really ponder it. God loved us knowing all of that. God loved us knowing that we did not want to live for him. Now, hear me. Loving someone, y'all can be real with me on this one. Loving someone who is not for you is totally contrary to human nature. I mean, human nature says, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Human nature says, if you kick me, I'm going to kick you back. Human nature says, if you spit on me, boy, you better run. Because it's about to go down. That's what human nature says. But when you read this text, why is it that God loves us enough to send his son to die for us in our sin. Family, this makes no sense. It makes no sense because nowadays we only love or want to love when we know we're going to receive something in return. Mm -hmm. So instead of loving like God, where we give ourselves away despite what's coming in return, we hold back giving love away because we want to make sure that if we give love away, it's going to benefit me in return. I know I'm in somebody's driveway right now. You know, this is all up in your kitchen. Pastor, I don't, I, I don't want to love if, if they're not going to love me back. That's, that's not the way this works. I, I don't want to do that. I mean, it's kind of like that old Teddy Pendergrass song where he says, it's so good. Come on now. Loving somebody when somebody loves you back. Some of y'all are like, well, who in the world is Teddy Pendergrass? Teddy Graham, I mean... Google him. He might bless you. It's okay. But, but don't miss the point here. We only think loving or having love is good when somebody loves us back. So we don't give love. We're not going to do it. And the problem with saying this or believing this, don't miss, is that we'll never experience true love. We'll never experience love in its fullness. Because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Listen to these words. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, you, you scan over those words. Nowhere in there does it say, give love and you will receive love. I'm looking at it, it's not there. True love is not give and take. Love has to be selfless. This is why marriages and relationships are failing all the time because love was not selfless, instead it was selfish. It's about me and what I want and what I need. I mean, look back at 1 Corinthians 13. I, I want to juxtapose it or contrast it, the biblical love here with the love of the world. Just for a moment. Look at those words. Love nowadays, hear me, is not patient and kind. Now, we want it right now. 
We're full of envy and we boast all the time. We're one of the most arrogant nations in the world. We're always irritable, we don't smile, and we're bitter about life, just mad all the time. We rejoice at other people's downfall. This world is a doggy dog world. We don't bear anything if it doesn't benefit me, and we're quick to give up on people. And y'all, that was just a quick contrast of society versus 1 Corinthians 13 type of love. We're not truly a loving people. That, that, that's not us. We're the direct opposite if we're honest. We as a people don't truly love others. And I would argue the reason why is as I said in the beginning, we don't really understand how much we've been loved by God. I mean, look back at this text. It does not say, look at it. It does not say once you admit your wrongs, God will love you. It doesn't say when you ask for forgiveness, God will love you. It doesn't say when you live righteous, God will love you. I'm looking at it. It's not there. It doesn't say once you love God, he will love you back. Family, God's love was not and is not dependent on any human actions. Jesus' coming and Jesus' death had nothing to do with our response. When he's hanging on the cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet, Jesus is dying for the world, but he doesn't have the promise that all of us are going to come to know him, but yet he still dies. That's love. True love gives even when there is no promise of return. Let me say it again. True love gives even when there is no promise of return. Family, we have to know how Christ loved us in order to truly love or experience true love. But stick with me, because this text is not done. Here's where the love of God begins to boggle me a bit, begin to mess with me a bit. Because as I read the text, God doesn't just love us enough to die for us, which honestly, that's more than enough. We could just stop right there and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. You didn't have to do it. I don't deserve it. Thank you for dying for me. We could stop right there. But when you keep reading, in his love, it says he truly saves us. Now, what does the text mean by this? Yeah, Jesus saved me. I'm saved by grace. I believe that. Pastor D, what, what are you saying here? When you keep reading this text, you get to verse 10, it says that we, all of us at one point when we did not believe because of our sin and our willful rebellion against God's ways, we were his enemies. But yet through Christ's death, we're now reconciled. It's like I spoke about last week. Through Christ's death, there's now true peace between man and God. But if you keep reading, it says much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved? Everyone say saved. saved. Shall we be saved by his life? Family, this part when I was in my study had me leaping a bit. Because when you look up this word saved in its original language, Greek, uh, the biblical language, Greek, it, it, it's twofold. 
It's a twofold meaning. I, 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 number one, it's through your belief in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the believer is justified or seen as righteous now in God's eyes. God no longer looks at you as a sinner deserving of hell, but instead through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he's looking at you and saying, I love you, my son and my daughter. You're mine. But family, that's not what had me leaping. Although that's good news, that's not what had me leaping for joy. I mean, we talk about that all the time. Jesus died for me. He was buried. He rose from the grave. He did it for me. I love Jesus. He loves me. I'm saved. But on the other side of it, the second side of this word saved is amazing. See, what I'm getting at, and this text is trying to get us at, when you read it and you study it, is that when Christ died, he didn't just save you from your sin and your guilt today but he's going to continue to keep saving you every day. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus is gonna hang on the cross for you every day. He's gonna die all over again. That's not what I'm saying, but hear me. When you believe, you were justified. And now until Christ comes back, the Holy Spirit is going to continue to sanctify or work on you, forming you into the image of God. Not only are you saved from the wrath of God, but he is going to keep working in you and on you for his good purpose and your good in the end. Y'all, that's good news and some of y'all are missing this. What this means is that instead of receiving wrath and condemnation, the believer receives justification and one day glorification. That's good news. It means that I don't have to work on myself and get myself today together the way that I think I should be. Jesus is working in me, sanctifying me and purifying me, making me into the image that he wanted me to be in the beginning. And one day, family, I'll be there. Y'all, that's good news. You see, it's good news because not only does God love me enough to save me from my sin, but he loves me enough to continue to work on me and in me to change me to be like him without sin. And one day, as a believer, I'm going to stand before God and I'll not just be an image bearer, but I'll be like him, no stains. No shame. I won't be God, but I won't have any sin. I won't have any guilt. But in heaven, family, I'll be restored in my glorified body, and I will dwell with God my Father forever and ever. That's good news. And don't miss the key point in all of this. All of this occurred and happens not by my works, or by my might. All of this happens by God's love poured out through Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf. His love is like the gift that just keeps on giving. It's like the song, uh, One Thing Remains. Jesus' culture says it this way. Your love never fails and never gives up. It never runs out on me. In death and in life, I'm confident I'm covered by the power of your great love. My debt is paid. There's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love. Family, during this Advent season, I just want to challenge you to meditate on and remember God's love through Jesus. And the second part of that challenge is to, now that you know it, is to go out and share that same selfless love with someone else. He is the reason for the season. 
let us make his name huge. Let us glorify God with all that we have. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you loved us, God, first. The love of God, when we think about it, is unfathomable. It's good. It's great. And the amazing part about it is, is that you don't have to do anything for us. But you choose to. You chose to years ago when you formed Adam out of the dust. 2,000 years ago, when you sent Jesus. And you're still working in us and through us. The power of your Holy Spirit today, God, you love us. Father, I just pray that during this season that we would never forget that we wouldn't take for granted your love, that we would make it our mission to be intentional with sharing that love with other people. A love that we only have and only can experience because you loved us. God, you're so good. I pray, I know there's someone in here that's saying, I'm not feeling that love. I may not even know that love. God, I pray right now that you would just intercede and that you would move in their heart. That Jesus, they would just say, I need you right now. This season may not be a good season for them. It may be a hard season. Maybe your loved one's not there or someone is not around. God, I pray that you comfort where comfort needs to be. I pray that you draw people to yourself that need to be drawn to you. Someone came here looking for you, Jesus, and needing you. So, Father, would you just move in the way that only you can right now? We love you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.